I'm good. Good morning. Wow, I, I think um, so far as I've chatted with folks, I think Dr. Like wins the prize from coming from the coldest spot this morning. It was minus 14 at your house when you left this morning. Anybody beat that? Bruce? Huh? Minus 15. No, you're just messing. Just messing. What about, what about the Cadles? What was it out on the prairie? Huh? Minus 10. Minus 10. Okay. Well, we were a warm minus 6 at my house, so... Hey, we've been having a good week despite the weather. Uh, Norman Moore is, is, we all know him. There might be some new uh, folks that haven't met Norman Moore. But how many times have you been to the college? Five, you see? Five times. Norman Moore is uh, a tenured evangelist with the Church of the Nazarene. He started his 35th year of full-time evangelism this year. And that's remarkable. It's, it's, it's truly remarkable, and uh, he's a dear, dear friend. And we've had him here on campus for the T.W. Willingham uh, preaching, uh, uh, Preacher of the Year series. And uh, Monday night, Tuesday night, uh, uh, we've had good crowds and good services, and, and it's a joy to have him speak to us this morning from the Word of God. And I want to introduce Vicki. I'm not sure that Vicki has been here since I've been here. Vicki, would you stand so we can recognize you today? Thank you for being here. By the way, they live in sunny Southern California. And was it two weeks ago, he was, he was doing the revival at Olivet Nazarene University, and they canceled classes two mornings. And it was only minus nine there. They're, they're wimps up there at OMU. Well, let's pray. Thank you, Father, for bringing us here safely together. And we pray that you would speak uh, through worship and, and the preaching of the word today to each and every one of us. You know where we are and you know our points of need. And we pray that we would receive from your spirit today. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, while we stand, it, it might warm us up a little bit. Let's worship.
Got some great news for you, friends. June is coming. But you're here this morning because you care. You love God. You love the school. You love each other. You love his word. And we're going to have a few minutes to share together. But first, I want to bring to you the thanks and appreciation that I have encountered crisscrossing this nation for 34 years. From Kona, Hawaii, on the southwest, to Lowell, Massachusetts, on the northeast. From Fairbanks, Alaska, in the northwest, to Princeton, Florida, in the southeast. There are churches, and pastors, and pastor spouses that have been the initial and the ongoing beneficiaries of what you are doing and how you've ministered here at Nazarene Bible College. You don't sit across the lunch table like I have. Where'd you go to school? Nazarene Bible College. And they always say it with a grin. So you may not hear the positive remarks that I've heard crisscross in this country, but you've had an influence. It made an impact. Churches are better off. Pastors are better off. Pastor spouses are better off because of what you're all about and what you've done. You know, sometimes I get in a whiny mood and wonder if I'm doing any good. You ever feel that way? Tell the truth. Do you ever feel that way? But you know what? Once in a while, the Lord pulls back the curtain and gives you an insight that somebody, somewhere, somehow, sometime, got some help. And I just want to let you know that you're making a difference. Your influence is significant and substantial, and you're making a contribution that's going to last for time and for eternity. So I salute you all. God bless you. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We appreciate the way your Holy Spirit's been helping us in these special services. And I pray your special blessing on each one of these friends. You know their dedication and their commitment and their sacrifice. I pray, Lord, that you'd reward them and affirm them and assure them that there are going to be eternal results from their ministries here at this place on this hill. Thank you for the hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of students who've come through these doors and the churches that are being affected right this very day. Thank you. For chapel time, help me now in Jesus' name. Amen. Some of you know I was born in Denver but grew up in Pueblo. I, um, I have a vivid memory of my eighth grade grammar teacher. Her name was Mrs. Mershon. I remember for two distinct reasons. First of all, she had blue hair. It was supposed to be white, but she didn't want it white. Back in those days, uh, the Revlon and the Clairol and L'Oreal formulas were not perfected yet. And the school district paid the teachers once a month. Last Friday of the month was payday for school teachers. So shortly after the new month turned over, she'd been to the beauty shop. I guess that's what they called it. 
And she'd come back and her hair was real jet black. Reminded me of a Lincoln Town Car limousine. But around the third week of the month, it turned a real goofy blue. I suspected that would look cool on a 68 Camaro or a Mustang. Never forget Mrs. Marchand with the blue hair. Another thing I remember about her, she played a goofy game on the chalkboard. We'd be gone to lunch, and she'd write the most unnecessarily long and complex sentence up on the board. We'd come back to class, and we'd play her game. She never told us the name of the game. If I named it, I'd say, call it and make a student look like a fool, because that was always the result when I got to play. She wanted us to diagram the sentence. Anybody ever do that? Would you raise your hand? As I recall, she wanted one line under the subject. Is that the way you played it? Uh-huh. And two lines under the verb. Is that the way you did it? She also called that the predicate, just to confuse you. And as an eighth grade boy, I always got that mixed up with somebody about to have a baby. <laughs> She wanted parentheses around the prepositional phrase and brackets around the infinitives. And I never did figure out that deal about how to dangle a participle. <laughs> She's on my mind this morning as I approach a verse of Scripture. 2 Peter 1, verse 3. Just one verse, but like... Mrs. Mershon taught us we're going to inch our way through that sentence and see what we can discover together. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 3. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. In a devotional moment one day I was reading that too hurriedly. You ever read the scriptures too hurriedly? And I went through it like his divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. And I felt an interior, whoa, slow down, boy, what's your hurry? Read that again. Aren't you glad for the Holy Spirit who coaches us in intimate ways day by day? I read it again and again and again. You know how I read this these days? His divine power. has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Mrs. Mershon with the blue hair taught me that the subject in this sentence is his divine power. What's that mean? I'm not smart enough to have the whole answer. 
But the Bible's full of examples, and we can't extract them all here this morning. But jump back to the Old Testament in your memory and just take a look at creation. Bible says, God said, let there be light. Evidently, there never had been. But since he spoke, the lights turned on. And he created the world with the power of his spoken word and thoroughly furnished it. And years and years later, Peter's sitting at a table, scratching his head and squeezing his pen. And you know what spilled out on the page? His divine power. Take a look at creation. That's a picture. Later in the Old Testament, his divine power is manifested. God spoke to Moses from a burning bush and said, I want you to go down there and tell Pharaoh. I said, let my people go. They had a little debate. But sooner or later, all those folks left town. And they bumped into an unanticipated obstacle called the Red Sea. Did you ever have an unanticipated obstacle? His newly formed optimism committee came to him. <laughs> what the war are we going to do? Brought us out here in the desert to get slaughtered? Premium strategy, Moses. You ever been on a committee like that? Moses had sense enough to pray. And God heard. And parted to see. The Bible says they walked across on dry ground. But if you research that in the original language, you want to know what that really means? It means they walked across on dry ground. That's what it means. Years later, Peter's sitting at his table squeezing his pen. You know what came out? His divine power. Across the sea, folks got hungry. Here came the complaint committee. Oh, we're going to starve to death. Is that the strategy? Moses prayed. God heard and put manna on the ground, fresh every morning from heaven's bakery. Do you know what manna means? Krispy Kremes. <laughs> I don't know. I just made that up, but it sounds good. Later, Peter was thinking about the whole deal and called it his divine power. Folks got thirsty, and here they came again, griping and complaining. Oh, we're going to die of thirst. Is that the plan? Moses prayed, and God heard, and the Bible says he got water out of a rock. You know what the lesson is there? God has an infinite number of options and possibilities by which he can meet our needs. His divine power speaks the world into existence and parts the Red Sea, puts manna on the ground and gets water out of the rock. During Jesus' life and ministry, his divine power was manifested multiple times. Jesus and the boys were in the boat. Jesus, very God, but very man, his humanity became fatigued, and the Bible says he took a nap on the pillow. An unpredicted squall hit the lake, and his newly formed optimism committee came to 
wake him up and said, don't you care that we're about to go under? In my imagination, I see Jesus yawn and stretch. Maybe scratch his hair, beard. Said, when are you guys ever going to figure out who I am? Bible says he walked out on the bow of the ship, held out his hand, and what did he say? You got that memorizing King James, don't you? Peace be still. I read a modern paraphrase and said, hush, knock it off. <laughs> and the boys in the boat exclaimed together, what kind of man is this? Who do you think was in the boat? Peter was in the boat. He watched the whole deal. Later, he's sitting at his table squeezing his pen. Do you know what fell on the page? His divine power. They were heading downtown Jericho one afternoon, and a persistent blind fellow named Bartimaeus sitting at the curb aggressively yelled out, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. The religious bunch tried to hush him up. He called out more assertively, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus called time out on the main street parade downtown Jericho, pivoted to the side of the road, looked the fellow in the face, said, what would you like me to do for you? It's in the book of Mark. It's been there for years. Can you imagine Jesus pivoting to the side of the road this morning and looking at you in the face with love and care and kindness and tenderness and empathy and compassion and say, what would you like me to do for you? Bartimaeus provides us a wonderful example. He was in touch with the reality of his chronic need. He says, I want to receive my sight. He knew and admitted that he was blind. He didn't seek some compromise solution. He didn't request a CNI dog or a scholarship to the Braille Institute. He said, I want to receive my sight. And Jesus' response indicates, man, that sounds like a mighty good idea to me. And he healed him downtown Jericho curbside on Main Street. And who was there in the parade? Peter was there. He saw the whole deal. Years later, he's sitting at his table squeezing a pen. Got any idea what came out? His divine power. Read the Gospel of John, you find out Jesus got a message. Hey, get over here to Bethany. Your good old buddy Lazarus is sick. The Bible says he stayed two days longer on purpose. Go figure that one out. Tells me God has a strategy in the apparent delay in his answer to prayer. His delays are not necessarily his denials. God had a bigger idea. The sisters wanted Lazarus healed. God wanted a resurrection. You can't have a resurrection if you don't die. A couple days later, Jesus showed up in Bethany. Separately, two sisters came to him with the same complaint and statement, if you'd have been here, my brother would have died. Jesus took the opportunity of a timely lesson on faith and resurrection. They went to the tomb. 
And after he overcame the attempted veto objection of the odor expert sister, he said, move the stone. The Bible says with a loud voice, Jesus said, Lazarus, come out. In my imagination, I see Lazarus pop one eye open after the other. Stand up, tightly wrapped in burial garb. Wiggle his way to the mouth of that tomb. Squinting at the bright sunlight. And said something through his facial bandage. Did you call me? Who was standing there? Peter was standing there. Years later, he's sitting at his table. What was he doing? Squeezing his pen. What fell on the page? His divine power. It speaks the world into existence and parts the Red Sea, puts manna on the ground and gets water out of a rock. It tells the storm to hush and heals a blind guy downtown Jericho and wakes up the dead man out of his tomb. Remember Mrs. Mershon with the blue hair? She taught me to find a verb. Has given. They tell me it's a present perfect tense verb. Aren't you impressed? So what? It's not past tense, gave. It's not future tense, will give. Present perfect tense. Loaded on the trucks, dispatched, arrived, backed into your driveway with the tailgate down. Ready for your current and immediate access. Some people have a faith, well, I believe God could give. Others would say, well, I believe God will give. That's not what Peter wrote. His divine power, what? Has given present and available, immediately accessible, loaded on the trucks, dispatched, arrived, backed in the driveway with the tailgate down. His divine power has given us. Who's us? His kids. If you know the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, you're one of us, the born again. His divine power has given us what? Oh, not much, just says everything we need. I notice he didn't say everything we want. Is there a difference? Most of the time. My sweet wife Vicki and I have an only child, our daughter Nikki. She's now 38, married to John, and they have two daughters, Tori and Kennedy. Tori is 17, and that's short for Victoria. Kennedy is 12, and that's short for Kennedy. <laughs> but when Nikki was a school-age girl, sometimes she'd come in the house after playing and riding her bikes in the neighborhood with kids and said, Daddy, can I have a glass of milk and a Twinkie? First thing I do is check my watch. If it's 3.30 or 4, I say, sure, I'll have one with you. But it's at 5.30, 
quarter to six, I say, no. Why? Two reasons. I knew supper's at six, and I didn't want to spoil her appetite. I knew she's going to have meat and potatoes and vegetables and bread and butter. And I didn't want her mother on my case for spoiling her appetite. So sometimes I had to say no to her Twinkie requests in order to meet her meat and potato needs in just a few minutes. In my journey with the Lord, sometimes he's had to say no to my Twinkie requests because he had a better idea to meet my meat and potato needs in just a little while. His divine power has given us, the born again, everything we need for life and godliness. He cares about your life-related needs. He cares about your godliness-related needs. What's the catch? Well, Mrs. Mershon taught me to find a subordinate clause. We got one of those here. Through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him. So I've got to ask us all this morning, how well do you know him? And you may wonder, well, how do you get to know him? Same way you got to know your best friend, spend time with him. Who's your best friend on earth right now? At one time, that person was a total stranger. Sometime, somewhere, somehow you met, you were introduced, you met for breakfast, went out to lunch, had pie or coffee, I don't know, whatever. But the more time you spent with that originally total stranger, the more you liked them. A fondness form, a relationship grew, an appreciation developed. Your best friend on earth right now was once a total stranger. How'd you get to know him, spend time with him? Through our knowledge of him, how'd you get to know him? Same way, spend time with him. Start with this book every day. A priority to give the reading of God's word in your daily life. Prayer, meditation, public worship, Christian reading, Christian music, networking with caring, Christian, edifying, encouraging friends. Helps you get to know him. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us. That's insightful for me. Who took initiative? Who picked up the phone first? Who called who? Who called us? I got some great news for you. I'm talking about the Lord Jesus Christ, God the Father Almighty, who takes initiative to establish relationship with us. He's the one who called us. Before you ever thought about God, he's already thinking about you. Down in Pueblo, house we grew up, old house, built in 1903. The reason I know that, there was a, a date stamped in the concrete sidewalk out there by the back porch steps. It was situated on a large corner lot, had a big side yard. And in the spring and summer, it was a baseball diamond. I got a whipping once for knocking the ball through the dining room window. Worst thing about it, it was a foul ball. In the fall, it became a neighborhood athletic field, and we played football there. My little brother and I would get out of school about 3.15, home by 3.30. The routine was change of school clothes into the old jeans that had the patches on the knees. 
That's before they start tearing a hole in them on purpose. We'd have a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, a glass of milk, a hostess cupcake, or Twinkie, snowball. We'd watch the Rifleman or Superman in black and white. We'd play ball in the side yard or ride our bikes around the streets. I procrastinated homework as long as I could. It's a habit that served me well all the way through college. Supper was at six. And mom, with her unmistakable voice, would walk out on the back porch next to the old ringer washing machine. Remember those? She tossed open a screen door, and with an announcement you could hear to Dallas, she said, Boys, supper's ready. Come and get it. And you learned early, don't be making that lady call you twice. She held open the back porch screen door, and we passed one into the other. Every night she gave us the same speech. Get to the bathroom, wash your hands and face, comb your hair, and get to the table. I heard it so often, it just stuck in my head. My brain's tattooed with that speech. We did so. And then we stepped into the kitchen with this outdated, garish, floral linoleum. Stepped to the kitchen dinette set for mica top, chrome rimmed. We pull our chairs from under the table, plastic covered, split seam, bulging, bulging cotton. We sat down at our reserve seat. And you know what we found? Everything we needed was on the table. There was meat and potatoes, vegetables and bread and butter, milk and even dessert. And you dear, sweet, precious friends, on this cool morning, it seemed like the best thing I could do is walk out on the back porch of God's vast goodness and announce to y'all, supper's ready. Come and get it. Because his divine power that speaks the world into existence and parts the Red Sea, puts manna on the ground, gets water out of the rock, that tells the storm to hush and heals the blind man downtown Jericho and wakes up the dead man out of his tomb, has given. Loaded on the trucks, dispatched, arrived, backed into your driveway with the tailgate down, waiting for you to access it immediately by faith. If I ask you, do you believe in God? You say, well, sure I do. Cool. If I ask you, do you have faith in God? It would say, oh, yeah, I got faith in God. Here's another one. Do you trust God? I wonder if there's a difference between believing in, having faith in, and trusting him. Lazarus died. Jesus showed up two days later. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. And I'm here to tell you, you can trust him. He's the one that said, I will never leave you or forsake you. 
and Proverbs describes him, there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Please stand. Would you like a quiet moment here at the altar? <coughs> or perhaps on these front chairs? To visit with the Lord about the timely, relevant issue on your heart and mind this morning? What need did you bring in a chapel today? The good news from God's word is his divine power has given us everything we need. And you can trust him. If you'd like to use the altar or these front chairs for prayer time, you're welcome to come while Jonathan leads us in a chorus. Thank you, Lord, for your presence. We appreciate the way the Holy Spirit talks to our hearts from the scriptures. Help us to get a fresh grip on this promise and let it affect our attitudes and our behaviors, our perspectives. Augment our trust in you. Thank you for the difficult times that push us back to your loving, caring, tender embrace. We appreciate that you know what we need before we ask. Go with us now with thy love and blessing. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for your service, the contribution you're making to this church. We need you. We just want you to know you're making a big difference. God bless you.